Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of City Champions Podcast. I'm switching it up a little bit on you today because we've had a few episodes of athletics back-to-back and today we are going to have fun. We are talking about marijuana, pot, weed, cannabis, reefer, whatever you want to call it, we're talking about it. Frederick Pels, my guest today, is the CEO and President of the Marijuana Dispensary, The Green Room. Fred's an incredibly smart and articulate individual. He's advised all levels of government on legislation for the upcoming legalization. We talk about the stigma still involved with marijuana despite its use by many people across all spectrums and and prominence levels. We talk about how ignoring that stigma, in fact, saved one of his relatives' lives. And we talk about the legalization debate to date and what you guys can expect going forward. Please enjoy. My conversation with Frederick Pels. Sitting here with Frederick Pels of The Green Room. Fred, how are you doing today? I'm good. How are you, Shane? I'm very good. So you just got back from a CTV interview. Is that the case? Yeah, I did. I got a phone call this morning. Uh, apparently, the uh, Alberta Liquor Association, Liquor Store Association, released a poll that said that Albertans preferred that marijuana be sold in liquor stores and uh, they wanted my comments on it and uh, yeah what did you tell them well I I told them that uh, I have a poll from the dispensary association that says that most Albertans prefer dispensaries Um, it it was pretty funny because it was it was an interesting time for their release I mean well well done after Ontario announced that uh, they're using an LCBO model, but um, they didn't really have any info on their uh, pool of uh, people that they uh, asked, and it was really uh, a marketing ploy, if anything. Right, it was all kind of smoke and mirrors, and it would be like a grocery store saying, yeah, we want to be the only ones to sell these groceries. Yeah, I mean, she said that uh, she spoke with the president of the, the association, and she said that liquor stores had the experience. I go, how long have liquor stores been selling pot? I've never seen it there. So I've been I, missing it this whole time. Yeah, I've, I've been looking for pot and I couldn't find it anywhere besides the green room. So I was shocked to find out they had experience selling cannabis. But For many people who don't know and, and many people who will find out within the next year, you operate in uh, incredibly sort of divisive, sort of conflicting industry right now. I mean, Tell us a little bit about the green room, how you got started in it. Where are you? Gray market? Are you black market? Are you you know totally right. above board? How does this happen? Well, we're trying to be totally above board. Um, so I guess you would call that gray. I don't know how to label it. I mean, the industry has been around far longer than I've been alive. Uh, marijuana has been part of of the British Columbia economy probably since the '60s. Um, dispensaries you know started rolling out there in, in the late 90s uh, the green room started in 2012 um, with my partners and uh, when it was time to expand uh, they reached out to me um, and uh, you know as crazy as it is to open in Alberta which is a bit conservative we had to find a way to do it uh, it was it was a matter of necessity I mean it's coming here. It's coming out all across Canada. So we had to find out a tactful way without breaking the law and being front page news and adding to the stigma of dispensaries of how to operate here. And uh, I think we found it. Um, so you got brought into the fold with the green room in 2013. So what experience did you have before that that led them to, to want to include you? Well, I mean, it's an industry that I've always had uh, my fingers in. It's something that I knew was going to uh, expand across the country and not just in Vancouver. And I'd always said to them, you know, when it's time, I want you guys to let me know. And it pretty much happened that things were going really well in Vancouver and um, they wanted to take it up a level. They've, uh, you know, they had some struggles. There was a lot of confusion within the city on their you know, first steps into legalizing dispensaries in Vancouver. So they got uh, boomeranged around quite a bit and they wanted somebody that was a bit more 
you know, comfortable with government relations and business in general. So they reached out to me. Is it currently legal to operate in Vancouver as far as the green room is concerned? Depends on what law you're looking at. Federally, no. Um, and this is where the classifications come into place, where you got your illegal, you got your gray, and you got your uh, legal. But uh, the only legal way to sell cannabis right now, federally, is through a licensed producer um, permit. And um, we don't have one. <laughs> so, uh, thankfully, um, you know, there's uh, some proactive people in Vancouver and, you know, many other cities across Victoria, Nelson, Cumberland, all issue licenses um, because they recognize it's part of the fabric of the community there. Right. So the federal law, unfortunately, didn't legitimize this industry uh, before the cities did. So, right. Um, we operate under the city of Vancouver and the city of Nelson's discretion to not enforce federal law regarding cannabis. Okay. Yeah. And this, so would you consider Nelson your, your kind of most well-known outpost at this point for the green room? We're very well-known across Canada. Right. I mean, I, I don't know, uh, which store has more attention. I mean, Nelson being a destination uh, for a lot of festival goers and um, you know skiers and uh, you know we're very popular in Australia because, <laughs> because of the Nelson store I can tell you that right much. yeah so if you go to Australia they know the green room just because of all the skiers and snowboarders that come through Nelson and work there in the winter time um, but we're very well known in Vancouver uh, at our peak, I think we had four stores in right. Vancouver. How many are you down to now? Uh, we're at one right now. One in Vancouver? Right. Well, it's funny that you say, you know, Australians really love you. It, it just goes to show that marijuana is, just transcends cultures and bar like country barriers, and it's, it's global. Yeah. And it, it really, um, like you said earlier, it, it weaves into the society. Like in Nelson, I was reading a couple articles that say, They've been growing it for 40 plus decades. And it's really like there's a whole community of farmers there, essentially. People have been growing it, improving their strains and and operating in this sort of co-op way. And it just is part of their economy and their lifestyle. Right. So what, you know, does that make Nelson a great place to put a dispensary? Does it... Does ground it, zero. Ground zero, you yeah. Know, it's it's uh, If you look at Nelson, it's geographically not on the way to anywhere right. um, you know you wouldn't stop there on your way to Vancouver you wouldn't stop there on your way to Kelowna so there's a reason why people go there and there's a reason why that town has never had what you would call a recession I think there's 10,000 people there and something like 3,000 restaurant seats so <laughs> it's uh, it's it's an, an anomaly if you look at it from an economic standpoint but if you input cannabis and the industry and how long it's been there um, it becomes very clear why people go there what uh, kept the town afloat through the 80s the 70s and um, allowed it to keep growing there's a lot of green money there yeah lots of green money they I was reading that there's a strain there named after one of the mayors I actually named that strain. come on yeah, if that's that's me you're quoting. Mayor Maglio. Mayor Maglio. Yeah, you are quoting me, my friend. What was so great about him? Um, it wasn't anything that was great about him uh, that I know. Uh, obviously, I'm not from Nelson, but uh, he was a uh, character, I guess, when we opened up the Nelson store, one of the things that I like to do is make sure that uh, we respect whatever community we come into. So. In our Vancouver store, we have ties to you know things that are very Vancouver, same in Edmonton. And in Nelson, I went to the Kootenai Exchange, where I met the owner whose family has been in Nelson for four generations. And I actually purchased um, photographs of his family that we have up in the Nelson store. So there's a horse race down Baker Street. Uh, there's a picture of his grandmother in front of the Nelson grocery truck doing deliveries. Um, and they're all in these, you know, old antique frames. Right. And uh, he asked me what I did. And I told him. And uh, he was like, oh, oh, that's great. And he's like, have you talked to the mayor? And I said, yeah. And, and somehow we got to talking about when 
uh, he was in high school and the mayor came to town and it was Mayor Maglio. Right. And he gave this impression uh, of Mayor Maglio that I, I can't, uh, I can't uh, mimic, but <laughs> it was funny. Yeah. It was eccentric. And uh, when we went to take down that, that strain, I just decided after hearing that story that I would name it after Mayor Maglio as another <laughs> to be a, a part of the Nelson right. fabric as well. You inundate so, yourself into the culture there. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. So what kind of outreach programs do you guys do in order to gain support within the community? So when it was, you know, speaking of Nelson, that was the funniest one because again, when we came there, there was 10,000 people still and uh, six dispensaries. So we were seventh. So everyone was like, how can our community support this? My biggest thing was to let them know that I was going to do something different. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it shows I did it. Uh, we're, we're the number one dispensary in Nelson for sure. Um, and we uh, um, tried to um, reach out to the community. We've done a few shows at the, at the local um, venues. And um, we've also... Uh, giving credits to there was um, one uh, young single mother in Nelson who was diagnosed with cancer. We provided her with uh, a tab for medication on us. Um, we did that several other times. Um, there was also at the time there was also the Compassion Club, which did similar things. Um, since the licensing process, the can- uh, Compassion Club is gone. So now we've sort of tried to take over that. Uh, you know, price point and right. charitable uh, donations. So that's direct uh, impact to the community there, as well as, you know, in Edmonton and Vancouver, we offer severe discounts. Like, you know, we lose money on absolutely everything that we do for people who are terminally ill or are facing a very difficult situation health-wise. Um, you know, outside of that, one of our mottos is to be good neighbors. So right. we keep... Uh, certain people from smoking in neighborhoods we remind them to enjoy it in the place where they're not intruding in somebody else's space yeah it's actually written right on our uh, membership form (laughs) so um and and i think um in that article as well you might find that uh, mary kozak said that we've actually been welcome and right taking care of quite a few problems that were happening in Nelson right because I mean as as a industry like you are in you can do so much more than just offer a product right you can you can counsel on you know just living a good life and being like you said good neighbors so a, a town like Nelson that has kind of been you know it's it's had marijuana in its economy for for decades not that any other place hasn't but when you go to a more conservative Calgary or Edmonton how do you how do you slowly sort of inundate yourself there? Well, with Calgary and Edmonton, it, it's been really surprising how much of a reaction we've got. At first, people were scared. Um, we had visits from the police before we even opened, mm-hmm. and they were really funny. They they really thought that you know we were going to just uh, start barreling marijuana out the door and there'd be, <laughs> there'd be people in dreadlocks and, and stuff smoking outside and, and I'm just like it's not what we do oh, alright <laughs> I just about died on my water oh. Oh, sorry to interrupt, keep going <laughs> so we uh, we uh, you know, had our little uh, test with the police and same with the municipality when we were trying to get meetings they weren't having it they yeah were, they were just like well like, you know wh- what do, why do we want to meet with you if you want to break the law and i'm like that's the difference i don't mm-hmm. um so when we came the uh when we finally opened up after meeting and explaining what it is we're trying to do um when we finally opened up people came in and, and they were so relieved um, the the patient base is so vast mm-hmm. like you know from your regular what um, I guess the media would call recreational users um, to grandmas coming in because they have arthritis and want CBD cream and their doctors won't prescribe them any um, and then you have the people who already have a federal exemption and are signed up with an LP and they can't get product and they come in and they're they're blown away 
by our selection um, and the ease of the process. Um, uh, we've had the Cross Cancer Institute referring patients, one doctor in particular, I'm not going to say his name, but okay. you know who you are, thank you. <laughs> and um, he refers them to us simply because the process of going through an LP is not even from his point of view, for somebody who's got six months to live, not a viable process. So where else are they going to go? Um, we've been so busy, I can't believe it. And we don't have a gram of product in that store. Right. So it's uh, it's been awesome. Um, same in Calgary. Um, but our reputation preceded us. When uh, After we opened Edmonton, when we went down there, everyone was happy to meet with us. The police haven't come by. <laughs> they know what we're doing. Mm -hmm. They know who I am. They know who uh, who's working there. Um, it's It's been great. I think it's really it's worked and our goal was to show you know the municipalities and the people that live in Edmonton and Calgary what a dispensary is really like what it can be like right and I'm sure there are some that don't you know stack up but uh, I make sure that ours is well you bring up a really good point about um, perception of, of users, right? You said the guy with the dreadlock, and unfortunately, that's just sort of the stereotype. How how challenging is it to try and break those perceptions? Because I mean, at the end of the day, you get anyone, you can get people from any slice of of the population using, you know, whether it's the you know eighteen year old kid or younger. Not that I'm advocating that, right. or you know the the. 30-year-old lawyer or, you know, the 40-year-old doctor or the 60-year-old, you know, retiree that, that just has smoked it his whole life just under sort of the radar and and it's just part of his lifestyle. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. It's just how it gets portrayed in movies. It's how it gets portrayed and has been portrayed um, for a long time. But the reality is, is that those aren't the people walking through the door. I mean, very few are, and even still, may, they may look the stereotype, but they're delightful people. Like we, we love having them, and it's uh, uh, unfortunate that that stigma has been placed on this industry because it represents such a small percentage of the people that actually walk through the door. Uh, I am shocked at all of the notable people. Um, from Edmonton that we have as patients. I mean, it's people that you wouldn't expect, people in very affluent positions. Um, really, if, if it was uh, one way to judge, if people saw the names and you know the faces of these people, they would be blown away. Um, it's, and that'll all come to light eventually, I'm sure. I hope so. I, I don't know if those people would ever come forward and mm -hmm. say that they are uh, cannabis users because that stigma is going to be around for a long time. It's such a weird situation though like with legalization looming next year you know are you going to have people step up and say yeah I've been using it for decades and now that it's legal like I don't think so. And how long will that stigma persist after legalization? Well I mean I have police officers that are patients. Of course. So are they ever going to come out I don't think so I think their peers would push down on them it, it's it's such a stark contrast um, of the, the police officers that came in to speak to me when we were about to open their opinions of cannabis the users and dispensaries versus the opinions of the ones that I have as clients so I don't know if that person could ever speak up and say right you know I'm a cannabis user I think that that they would be <clears throat> it might be allowed now in the police force once it's legal, but I don't think that they would ever be able to come out and say it. Do you think the people who are really against it, is it that they've had bad experiences or bad associations with it, or is it that they're just purely uneducated on it? Well, I mean, I think it comes down to the fact that we're only 40 years past reefer madness. I think that's, what, two generations? So uh, when you have that kind of stigma built into you from your parents. I mean, we all, we all know what that was like, you know, right. don't do drugs, don't drink, don't do this. Yeah, the and commercial where the guy's head's exploding yeah, after this, he takes yeah, it. Yeah, cracking an egg, this is your brain, this is your brain <laughs> on drugs. Just made me hungry. Yeah, exactly, it makes, us, it makes you hungry. 
what better way to, to do that than with <laughs> cannabis? But, but it's, um, you know, it's ingrained in a lot of people and you'll never get that out. Um, and they won't accept it. And, and we see that in the media. I mean, I, I love being in the media. I love spreading our message of, you know, we're not here to, you know, create a crazy society. We're here to help people get something that they really need. Mm-hmm. But some of the comments are, you know, negative. And, and you want to sit back and, and judge that person, but I don't. It's, yeah. it's just lack of perspective. It's part it. of them. I, I mean, you have the same people, you have the same arguments with religion, mm-hmm. right? I mean, everybody's allowed to have their opinion. And, <sighs> Blasphemous. Yeah. How dare you? Right? I, I, I can't say that religion is right, and I can't say atheism is yeah. right. I, I just prefer to, prefer to be agnostic on the whole thing, but... It's just so bizarre when you line it up, the pure stats of the matter, you, you stack it up against, you know, legal drugs like tobacco and alcohol. And just by every single metric, cannabis has done virtually no harm to anyone ever at any place or time. Right. And, you know, alcohol and smoking kills more people than, you know, those are really high up on the list. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, that's a big rabbit hole you want to go down with. Right. With why it is that way. But. Again, it's, it's the same thing. I mean, it's been ingrained. It's been ingrained in our society that cannabis is bad uh, to the point that even hemp was illegal at some point in time. Mm-hmm. You know, you can mainline hemp. It's not going to get you high. Right. So so why was it, you know, illegal? So um, I think uh, it's, a, it's a movement forward for everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, whether you support cannabis or not, I think this is a good thing. Um, it's, uh, it's a shift. Right. And it's a tangible one. Absolutely. Now, you said something interesting when referring to your clients, but you call them your patients. Right. So how does that process work? Someone comes into your store off a of white out there. So, so basically what you would get is somebody comes in, we don't do prescriptions or diagnosis. Um, and uh, we refer to them as patients only because of the health practitioners. So to the health practitioners, they're patients. To us, they're customers, and so sometimes that line gets blurred for me, and I, I just keep calling them patients because that's what the health practitioners prefer. Yeah, I mean that's what they do. And every uh, parent wants their kid to be a doctor, so of you course. can say my patients. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and uh, I'm by no means a doctor, unfortunately. <laughs> nor do you play one. Yeah, nor do I form. pretend to be one. But uh, so they uh, they come in, they have a information session, and really what happens there is our health practitioners will ask them if they're on any medication um, and see if there's any inter- negative interactions with cannabis. Uh, I think that's key. Um, you know, imagine if you went into a liquor store and somebody just sort of reminded you, like, hey, you know, don't drink with your prescription pain meds. Right. It's not good. And so this is just another reminder, especially because a lot of the people that we have are new to cannabis. Mm-hmm. So we guide them through with any interactions they may have. We also ask them about their ailments and make recommendations on product based mm-hmm. on that. And then they're signed after they're approved for use. Some people we don't approve. Um, people on serious uh, psychiatric drugs or anything that might be too risky for us to make a recommendation for them to use cannabis. Right. Unfortunately, we turn them away. Right, err um, on the side of caution. And uh, we advise them to see their medical doctor and actually get a prescription in that case. Mm-hmm. Um, because again, you know, we're not trying to hurt people. We just want to make it better. Mm-hmm. So it's not all about money <laughs> right. for us. Um, the, uh, the next steps would be they are inputted into our membership database and then they have full access to the dispensaries of Vancouver and Nelson. Mm-hmm. So with your information session, I mean, we've kind of talked about this before, but it's, it's a deep rabbit hole in terms of how many different strains there are, what effects, you know, you have some of the probably most knowledgeable staff in the industry. Definitely. What kind of training do you put those guys through and kind of what, what makes you proud about those? So we employees? have a 160 page training manual that yeah. everybody has to read and gets tested on. Um, the other thing too is the ever of the evolution of the products is nuts. Um, when new products come out and new extractions, new compounds, I mean, there's THCA, CBD, CBN, um, and blends of all the above and their effects and it's a never-ending education process my staff are amazing i'm really lucky to have them because they're 
uh, so passionate about the industry that there'll be times where they'll come to me with something new that I've never heard of. Yeah. And um, they really love dealing with our, our patients, clients. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, they build relationships. Like, it's, it's amazing. We really have a uh, great community uh, being built here, um, you know, within the green room. It's, it's unbelievable. Like, I'll come there. There'll be flowers there for somebody or, yeah. you know, all sorts of cards. You're trinkets. making people feel good, Yeah, right? It's, it's the most rewarding thing I've ever done <clears throat> in my life. So what kind of people come in? Who do you most enjoy helping? Like, what, what kind of ailments is cannabis good for? Well, you know, there's, there's unfortunately nothing that cannabis can cure. Mm-hmm. Um, I hope that this uh, forward motion and legalization will allow us to actually analyze this amazing plant. Mm-hmm. And maybe there's more. I feel like we're just at the tip of the iceberg. Right. And for those people who don't know, the reason that we haven't had a full analysis of it is as a Schedule One drug, it's not privy to any federal funding for exactly. research. That's right. Exactly. So any, any research that's been done to this point has to have been private research. Correct. Okay. Yeah. And, and unfortunately, the private research that's been done has been done in somebody's house as a, as a last ditch <laughs> effort. I mean, we all know Rick Simpson oil has been uh, something that's been touted as very effective for uh, cancer. And, um, you know, it's it's great. I really wish it cured it, but it makes things a lot easier for people on chemo. And it's, it's a great product. I love having it. Um, I love helping people that are on opiates. Um, my father was one of them, not very heavily... Uh, using them, but uh, he was on something called Dilaudid, which is a synthetic morphine. Right. And um, when, uh, and it was for his back, uh, before um, offering a surgery, they immediately offered him some opiates. And as soon as he started taking him, his demeanor changed, his overall outlook on life was terrible. Yeah. Um, and uh, it basically turned him into somebody I didn't know. So, and he was how old when this happened? Sixty-eight was when he started the allotted. He was on it from the time he was sixty-eight to about seventy. And two years, two is years. like total change. Two years of total change, and it was getting to the point where it was concerning. Right. Um, so I had a little chat with him, and and I, you know, didn't really put two and two together until we sat down and had a good heart to heart and figured out that it was this they lauded that he was taking yeah so I said can you can you get off of it and he says I can but it's not my back is just killing me so dad was a uh, Olympic hammer thrower in Russia um, so his back is pretty messed up right and uh, he uh, he said the pain is too much mm-hmm. and so we had some really potent pink kush and I said Will you smoke pot? He's like, if you roll it for me. <laughs> so you got a Soviet era father of yours, an Olympic athlete, yeah. and at seven years old, you're saying, "Hey, Dad, I want you to try smoking a joint yeah. to it, fix your problems." Exactly. And he was receptive to it. Very. Do you think it was strictly because he just was aware of what damage this opioid was doing to him? And he, he didn't was, feel good. Yeah. He didn't feel good. He wasn't in pain, but he didn't feel good, right. which is the craziest part. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that there was times where he wouldn't take the pills and the pain got the better of him and, and pretty much forced him into it. So we, uh, we smoked a joint. <laughs> <laughs> and um, dad was the cutest old man you've ever seen. Happy, smiling, just hadn't seen him like that in a few years. Yeah. Um, he slowly weaned off the day lauded. Uh, took about a month and a half. And... Holy smokes, he's the best. <laughs> How, like, if you would have asked him to smoke a joint with you 20 years before that, was he fairly against it? Was he kind of, you know, apathetic towards it? You, you know, I wish I had asked earlier. Right. You I never re- know. I really never know. But again, that same stigma that we talked about earlier mm-hmm. kept me from telling my, my family about, right. you know, using cannabis. Absolutely. And, um, I don't know what at that time because of the stigma I don't know what his reaction would have been mm-hmm. but yeah I don't know but it's it's crazy and, and the amount of like god those opiates are just awful that's, right they're that's, pretty much like heroin yeah 
and and the people realize it. The difference is, is that they're not they're stuck on them because the only other option is living in insane pain. Yeah. <clears throat> and uh, the the way that they change. Mm-hmm. Those are the people that that build relationships with my staff because they're so grateful. And it feels great. It really, you know, I, I feel like that stuff has been um, over-prescribed. And, and I, I'm not the only one who feels that way. But, right. And it's it's really turned into a problem. Some of my staff uh, were formally on it for something yeah. that they should have never been prescribed it for. And that's how they became so passionate about the industry. Right. It's, it's really the most rewarding. The toughest ones are the people that are terminally ill and people that really we can't do anything for. Um, you know, sometimes we get people in that say, they hear that it's good for ALS, and it's hard to tell them that there's, it'll make you feel good, but it, it's not gonna do anything for your ALS. It'll, right. help, it'll help you eat, it'll help you sleep. Yeah. So those are, those. that's the other side of the coin. Man, right? that's tough. And you know you get people in and in, in wheelchairs and final late stage cancer mm-hmm. and it's it's hard so what what marijuana is typically used for is a couple things right it's it's pain management it's appetite management because a lot of the times what they're blasting them with chemo and it just totally takes away their appetite is that right yeah and then and then also in terms of mitigating some seizure effects yeah i mean it's it's been really good with epilepsy cbd mainly Mm -hmm. um it's been amazing with parkinson's um for parkinson's tremors people have noticed that Mm -hmm. um again it's not a cure, but it definitely helps. Um, some people have day and night differences, yeah. and it's a matter of finding the right strain. Everybody's cannabinoid receptors are different, so it's a lot of trial and error. Where one thing might work really well, another strain might not work quite as well. So it's you know that's why we don't prescribe anything because you would have to try it. Right, right. You and I could have the same ailment, mm-hmm. and I could try one strain and it would work amazing for me. It might make you worse. Right. So it's it's at the point where it's trial and error. So a cannabinoid receptor, we have those in our bodies. Is That's that correct? Right. Yeah. And so how does that make our reaction to cannabis different from something like alcohol? Well. Alcohol is put through your liver, mm-hmm. and um, I mean cannabis can be too, and it actually changes the chemical makeup of it and its effects on your body right. as well. Um, but it's it's strange because cannabinoid receptors literally only interpret cannabis. Right. So whereas alcohol in the body affects all sorts of systems, it affects your dopamine and your adrenal gland. That's right. But the main like the main effect is increasing well barbiturate it's slowing down your central nervous system while also flooding your body with the feel-good neurotransmitters of dopamine that's why you have the blues blues after a night of drinking exactly so it affects systems that are already used naturally by the body but the can cannabinoid receptor and you can speak to this better than I could is dormant unless activated by cannabis is that right that's right and that's I mean you'll see there's many articles out there about why we have cannabinoid receptors Um, you know we're all made up of carbon there's a reason why this plants around there's a reason why we have those receptors I think we need to put a little more resource into finding out exactly why and what those are for um, you know the effects of euphoria and, and um, giggling and the munchies are a very small part of why people use cannabis um, and I think that as we explore the relationship between individuals their cannabinoid receptors and cannabis mm-hmm. we might find that answer out pretty soon so would you say it's would it would it be safe to say that your theory is that we evolved these receptors through use of it? I don't know if we evolved them. I don't know. Maybe we always had them. Yeah. You know. I mean, but I mean, everything in our body has developed for a specific purpose. Sure. And when you say things like giggling or having the munchies, it's a very social drug, right? Mm-hmm. And those are things that, as humans and as a social species, we those are the things we value the most. Right. like social interaction, connection with other people, laughing, song, dance, all that stuff. And to me, it seems like cannabis is a drug that enhances every single one of those. That's right. I know. 
could could be the case that you know it very well could be and and you know it's uh what can i tell you it's the plant that makes everything better you're right um you know obviously i'm going to advocate for it but i i don't know like i don't even think science really knows where they came from i don't know where they would evolve from because i don't think everybody has used cannabis right right so how could everybody have cannabinoid receptors true now where do we stand right now with the legalization? I mean, it's stated by the federal government that it's happening next year, but what are the stepping stones to still traverse before we get to that? There's a lot. Uh, I mean, the, the government, and rightfully so, wants tax money. Mm -hmm. Everybody wants to make sure that this is taxed. I think that is the biggest reason why uh, Kathleen Wynne went with an LCBO model. Uh, I like to call it worst case Ontario. That's... Uh, <laughs> You know, 60 dispensaries for the whole province. That's right. one for every 350,000 people mm -hmm. that live there. So it's crazy. It's going to flop. Um, but is it a step in the right direction? Anything legalization is a step in the right direction. Um, July 1 was, uh, you know, stated to be the date where everything happens. But I think it's just a starting line. Mm -hmm. I think it's when people will get a little bit more comfortable because the cities will be allowed to allow whatever they want and not have to worry about breaking federal law. Same with the provinces. So if something doesn't work, I think they'll be very quick to adjust it and um, you know adapt as things go on. <clears throat> it's a difficult thing for them to do. I really don't envy anybody in government right now that's been uh, uh, forced to tackle this. So, um, hopefully, you know, Alberta listens to me, British Columbia listens, <laughs> well, not just me, but, you know, other, other dispensaries. Yeah. And um, we put something that's already been working. And, and this is the thing. I don't know why everybody wants to strip this industry from the people who pioneered it and created it. Mm -hmm. There would be no legalization talk if it wasn't for the dispensaries in Vancouver. Um, that's it. I, I mean, that's just a fact. So, you know, and they're wouldn't be the dispensaries if it wasn't for the growers and the Kootenays and mm -hmm. um, all across Canada. So this industry has been here for a very long time. Mm -hmm. And I think they're very quick to put it into, again, because of the stigma, to put it into something that's not pal palatable for uh, the general population. But it is. Mm -hmm. and, and it really is the only thing that works. People think it's a product. It's not. It's agriculture. It can be turned into a product. Right. But the amount of information, the amount of touch and care that is required to make sure that this stays a viable industry um, is not something that the LCBO will be able to offer. Um, and the other thing that they haven't thought of is this was based on a black market industry. The goal of legalization was to eliminate the black market. And I'm great with that. I mean, we. I don't think the black market wants to exist. I think this industry wants to be mainstream, accepted, and regulated. But if you have union LCBO employees running this out of 60 stores, how are you gonna be price competitive with, with what is now a rejoicing black market from this decision? It's impossible. You know, there's, there's no way that people are gonna come in to an LCBO, and if there's only 80, wait, in line for seven hours right. to get their $300 ounce. Right. It's just not going to happen. So, you know, it's not communist Russia. People aren't in line for bread. They're going to go and find yeah. cannabis and they're going to get it at a price that's affordable from somebody in the black market because let's face it, we know that after taxation, after paying the infrastructure for this LCBO, I guess it would be a MCBO, um, there's, there's going to be a cost associated with it that's going to get tacked onto the product. I don't think they thought this one through. Right. And is there a worry about government inefficiencies coming into play as well? Huge. Yeah. I mean, again, it's what was the point of legalizing this? Mm -hmm. It was to take us out of the black market, keep it out of the hands of kids. Yeah. They're gonna, that's going to force it to do the exact opposite. Right. Right. Instead of the police, you now have the LCBO. Mm -hmm. It's going to be a lot easier for... Uh, you know, black market marijuana sellers to sell 
when it's federally legal. Right. What are you going to pay a fine? Like, what are you? How are you going to charge these people? But wasn't there talk about jacking up the penalties for selling illegally and for once they make it legal, increase the penalties for doing it illegally? There, there is. But I mean, again, I've spoken to a few lawyers. Um, there's a complexity in this mm -hmm. because what is illegal? Okay, Alberta has a, a private model and uh, Ontario has a public model. So you cross that invisible yeah. line and all yeah. of a sudden what you're doing is illegal and exactly. illegal. Exactly, so Johnny Toronto orders some pot from Fred in Edmonton. Yeah. Well, who's breaking the law? Right. Right, am I now black market because I operate a private industry in a legalized, regulated Alberta model and it's coming into uh, Ontario? Right. So, so, I mean, you know, I'm not talking about you know, selling drugs out of a car, but I'm talking about what happens when you have every province doing something different. Mm -hmm. Who do you regulate? How do you regulate that? Yeah. You know, it's an envelope away. What do you do when Amazon starts exactly. selling it? Exactly. We were actually contacted by Amazon. <laughs> Prime delivery, next day delivery. Yeah. It's, it's a reality. Mm -hmm. That could very well happen. So the model you advocate is currently the model that's going on in the black market, but is extremely viable once legalization hits. And that it's grown by, you know, the that mom and pop growers that have been doing it, or whoever's been growing it, in Crown Land for the last forty years, and then they are selling their stuff to the dispensaries, and the dispensaries are vetting it and then distributing it to the retail, like the retail customers. So there, there's that's a simple way to look at it. Mm -hmm. um, there's two problems which we have remedied. Mm -hmm. One is, like you said, vetting the product. Um, I think that uh, the the best way to monitor that. Is have the growers be have the onus of getting the product tested um, and then before it gets exported it's kind of just like cigarettes they make it and they you know report to the government what their yield was right pay into a tax pool that taxes it at production mm -hmm. and then of course dispensaries tax at the till so the government would be in charge of monitoring and testing the product that's grown uh, I don't. Or you pay a third party. I don't the think the government would. I think that there's there's actually it's a boom right now in, in chromatography testing. Uh, That's a big word. Yeah. What's that is, mean? I don't know. Okay. Uh, chromatography is a method of testing um, anything for contaminants um, and uh, potency. Go. Okay. So unfortunately. I failed science. So <laughs> don't know we've what, all got our strong suits. Yeah, I don't know what chromatography is, but uh, it's uh, it's how uh, we test our products, right. for example. And uh, it's a little bit more thorough than what even Health Canada has. Mm -hmm. So when, when you look at what's, there was a, a Globe and Mail article that's what's in your weed. Mm -hmm. um, and the green room obviously passed and some Health Canada products and some dispensaries didn't pass and that's because of the testing methods they used wasn't up to par so we looked for the most advanced method and that right. turned out to be chromatography so chromatography it's it's being offered by certain companies now it's a booming industry now can these tests also tell you sort of the THC content and CBD content and they do but there is again an inherent problem with that because we're not making marijuana we're growing it right so it's kind of like saying one strawberry was really, really sweet and delicious. The other one was kind of bitter and made me hallucinate. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, so if if you can't expect that out of produce, I don't know how you can expect it out of dried flour. It will work for concentrates. It will work for, um, you know, derivatives of cannabis, but actual dried flour, much like fruit or vegetables. So you te you can't test an entire crop. Right. It would be incredibly prohibitively right. expensive so um, you test you know the best three grams out of whatever and whatever crop you have right. and that's the results that you give unfortunately but I mean the reasonable stance would be that in any crop you know you might get some plants that are better and some that are worse but you know pretty much the range generally of what you're gonna get right you know yeah I, I mean the the difference isn't huge but you get, um, so, so again, back to the Health Canada testing products. So uh, the LPs will trim off whatever they're sending off for testing yeah. and they'll tumble the rest. So tumbling is a way of getting the buds off of the, the plant okay. uh, without having people actually come in and hand trim. Is that like an old raffle? 
bin kind where of, you just roll it around until they come yeah. out. Yeah. yeah, I mean it, it shakes it off basically, okay. but uh, it also shakes off THC crystals. So you're testing products that are hand trimmed at 28, 29% THC. Right. What the uh, patient is getting is somewhere around 15 to 17. Oh, okay, dilutes it a little bit. Yeah. Okay. So, so that's an issue right. as well. Now, is there any way to visually, like with a strawberry, to go with that example, you know that if it's black, it's bad. Is there any way to know by visually or, or any other method if, if yeah, marijuana flower is bad? Definitely. I mean, uh, mold is visible. Okay. Uh, there's also something called PM or powdered mildew, mm -hmm. which can be mistaken for crystals. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, a trained eye will know the difference. So, yeah, you can definitely visually see if a plant is, is sick or right. not good. All this kind of stuff just goes to show that this issue is so much more complicated than anyone outside of it could ever fathom yeah. you know legal not legal what do you let's play devil's advocate for a moment what would you say is the strongest argument against legalization at this point i've never looked at it from that side of view. i know I, but you've I got to in order to steel man your arguments yeah you know? no it's i mean we've got a rebuttal for pretty much every argument mm -hmm. i don't really think there is a strong one um it's keeping it out of the hands of kids yeah that's what we want to do too yeah it's it's really all the arguments the only one is impairment how right. to test for impairment that is one i don't have an answer for mm -hmm. yet um you know we've we've spoken with officials in portugal um they have different laws than we do but unfortunately the only way to test right now is with a fluid sample okay so said urine uh, blood, blood or saliva or saliva well saliva seems easy it is still illegal it's illegal to take a saliva sample it is that's why we have breathalyzers oh. you can breathe but you can't you can't demand somebody lick something or spit spit on, on something. something and that just goes to individual civil rights and that's right okay and, and I mean like rightfully so I'm, I'm really happy that we have those laws in Canada right I just, it makes things a lot more difficult mm -hmm. um for us to find a, a breathalyzer for pot. The other problem with even the, the fluid samples is the time frame. Right. So it's with within four hours. Mm -hmm. So what is the threshold of impairment? Mm -hmm. Well, the other thing I think <clears throat> you mentioned to me before is that two people with identical THC levels might be experiencing completely different um, effects, right? Of if you're a regular user, you might your THC levels might be elevated constantly, but you might not be quote unquote high. Right. Right. Whereas someone who just smoked for the first time might have the same THC level in their blood, but just be off the rocker. Exactly. And um, you know, I mean that all goes down to even prescription pills. Well, you know, if someone's driving around on Advan or mm -hmm. uh, Xanax, mm -hmm. how do we test for that? Right. So um, I, I think it's a bigger problem than just with cannabis, but with pot in the limelight right now, that's that's my toughest argument. <clears throat> right, sure. and unfortunately, because of the current legal climate, that's the burden of proof, right? Yeah. Like, prescription pills are legal, so yeah. you don't have to prove that it's a you know yeah. bad to be driving on them. Exactly, yeah. and, and I mean that's not something that I say with, uh, you know to like a politician or mm. a decision maker because you know saying like it's already happening isn't exactly a good argument right but it has been <laughs> yeah like nobody thinks that people aren't out there driving around on pot or prescription meds <clears throat> it happens every day and it has been for years so this is a long-term problem this isn't something new well i mean the simple fact is it's happening whether you like it whether you don't like it that's the way the market is going and there's no point in fighting the market right. people fight the market in industries every day and and they die off yeah. they, they go away yeah. so you know I think it's in everyone's vested interest to understand come to terms with it and then put all our energy and our resources into all improving the process right mm -hmm. yeah and, and that's all we can do and that's why I tell everybody July 1 is not the end we just got to keep going and and make this a great industry. I don't I don't think this industry should be stripped from the people that created it, but I understand that it needs to evolve. Mm -hmm. And I think that um, we have a real great opportunity here, um, you know, to let it grow and let it turn into something that people will love. Right. And why take it out of the hands of people who have been running it for decades and 
hand it over to people who don't know what they're doing. Yeah, exactly. Or at least find some common ground in order to work together. Well, and, and that's why I'm so shocked with this liquor stuff. Right. And, you know, and everybody's touting their experience and their credentials. What else are they going to do? Uh, kidney transplants? <laughs> like, I, I don't, I don't see what gives them the credibility to run such a sophisticated operation. Mm-hmm. Alcohol is easy, mm-hmm. real easy. Um, cannabis is not. Trust me. <laughs> you know, it's. Uh, it's a labor of love. I don't know if I think people think I'm crazy with the amount of time that I have to put into this. Um, and it's not just me, obviously, but um, I don't see it. I don't see how they could successfully run cannabis and liquor. No yeah. way. It's, it's just lumping two substances in together. Yeah. Right? And that's, again, the same stigma. Mm-hmm. You know, oh, yeah, I'm going to go to the liquor store, get a bottle of vodka and a gram of pot. No. Probably not. You know, the, the likelihood of that you is. You got to be zero. careful. Yeah. Yeah. So, so a couple more questions. What would be currently the biggest misconception in, in most people's minds that you wish you could change? I mean, there's a lot of them. Um, the biggest misconception I think they could change is that marijuana is just a product. I think people, it's not like, uh, just pot there's so many things so many degrees to everything about it that to try and simplify it right now at this point of legalization is dangerous um i think it could harm people um you know especially if you get somebody that's you know using alcohol and then oh they have pot too maybe i'll just try some pot with my booze it's just it's not a good scenario. I think education is key, and I think we just got to keep doing what the Greener has been doing, and, and that's educating everybody about cannabis and how it's not just pot anymore. Well, Fred, I want to be respectful of your time, um, and that kind of is a great segue. Where can we send people to find more information on this topic, to get educated, to you know not have misconceptions anymore? to just get with the times where would you recommend people go sure you can uh, visit any of our stores in vancouver uh, nelson edmonton calgary soon to be red deer um, you can find us online at uh, greenroommed.ca um, there's all of our contact info we have tons of published information um, socioeconomic feasibility studies you name it it's on there if you're looking for info um, come on into the stores or check out our website. You guys have done your homework. Yeah. And your store in Edmonton is next to Hudson's on White and Gateway. That's right, 8126 Gateway Boulevard. Perfect. Great, well thanks for your time, really appreciate it. Thanks, Shane. Talk to you later. Bye. Hey guys, thanks again for listening. Super appreciative of the support. If you're interested in anything Fred talked about, check out his website, greenroommed.ca. Please let me know, send me some feedback, who you wanna hear from, what kind of topics you want covered. And we're going to continue on with this thing. Hope you're all having fun. Take care.